Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning in the Lord's house. And Evan didn't tell me that we were allowed to have like high fives and hand motions and stuff with the announcement, so I apologize that mine wasn't as fun as some, but it's Christmas time. It's a great time of of celebration. It's a a time that the world kind of uh, joins in stuff that happens hopefully every week here in this church house and church houses all across the country. And it's a, a time of a, an ageless story. It's a time that we'll tell with Behold the Lamb in, in great music. It's a time that Charles Schultz has drawn cartoons about. It's a, a very familiar time, but I hope it's not a time that we take for granted. And this morning as we open up God's Word, um, I want to share a, a couple thoughts, hopefully, about, about what this time means that will give you a different perspective going into the Christmas season here. But before we open God's Word, let's, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, as we open up your Word, I pray, Father God, that in all that we do here, you would be glorified. That in all we talk about today, Father, people would be drawn closer to you. That, we, that I would uh, hold forth a word of truth, Lord, and nothing but the truth today. I thank you, Father God, for who you are and for what you have done and provided for us. And I thank you that we can celebrate in this Christmas season our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us this morning, Lord, to understand better your your plan for us from the Christmas story. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we're going to take the bulk of our our time out of the book of John. So if you want to uh, flip over to the book of John, particularly chapter 1, uh, as we begin today, I would uh, be happy to have you follow along in your Bible. If there's, if you didn't bring one with you, there's one at the end of each aisle that you can uh, look at as well. And later the scripture will be up on the screen behind you as well. It was about 725 years before the birth of Jesus Christ that the, the two prophets that were read earlier by uh, Evan and Michelle prophesied about the coming Messiah and the coming King. Both Isaiah and Micah wrote about something that had been been promised to the people of Israel, a Messiah. And people had already been the people of Israel had already been waiting, and and for some centuries after that, they continued to wait for the Messiah. And they had a vision of what what that would be from those from those passages that we read. The government will be upon his shoulder. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of of his government and of the peace, there will be no end. He'll sit on the throne of his father David. He'll establish justice and righteousness. It's talk of a king. It's talk of of a ruler. It's also talk of a shepherd who will shepherd his flock and he'll do it in majesty in the name of the Lord our God. For centuries since those prophecies, the Jews waited. They waited for that day that took place in Bethlehem over 700 years later. And they looked forward anxiously to see the prophecies fulfilled and the words of the prophets come to life. But when Jesus came here to earth, he came not as what the people had expected. It was a surprise how the Messiah came to earth. 
See, they were expecting a king. And for years they were expecting a king and a military leader to come and lead them out of all the different uh, rulers that had been over them between the Egyptians and the Babylonians and now the Romans in the time when Jesus came. They were hoping and expecting a king because kings were military leaders that would rise up an army around them that would, that would fight and that would, would break people from their bondage. They were expecting a, a king to come with great wealth because that's what kings were. They were the wealthiest, and hopefully that he would be able to share that wealth with, with everybody else in his kingdom. They were expecting a, a king that would come and, and just exude power because that was their, their idea of what kings were like. They were expecting a king that would come and probably demand laud and honor Because he was set up as the king. In short, in that day and age, when Jesus came, kings stood out. The kings were the wealthiest of the people. They were the most powerful. And everywhere they went, they were given incredible honor. There were a lot of kings, of some of big countries, some of little territories, but whenever they would come into a town, there would be a celebration. And they would even send people to, to sweep the streets in front of them so not even their horses would have to, to step on a pebble in front of them. Clear and declare the way of the Lord, of the king. So when God decided to send Jesus Christ, the king of kings, to earth, as a baby in a manger... It wasn't at all what the people, what the Jews who had been waiting centuries were expecting. And Jesus lived 33 years on earth, and the last about three and a half were as a public, in in public ministry. And it was truly only in in that time and and a little bit at at the manger and in his first year's that Jesus was ever recognized as king. When the wise men came and brought gifts, they brought gifts to a king. When the shepherds came and worshipped, they worshipped a king in a manger. But there's not much else regal that happens between that time and the time at the end of Jesus' life. In John chapter 19, we read this. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, uh, they came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. And Jesus came out in front of the people wearing a crown of thorns and the purple robe. See, when, when Jesus was finally recognized at all as a king, it was in a mocking fashion. It was, it was when the, the ruler of that, that little area, Pilate, dressed him up to mock him. And when he came out in front of the the people, he was wearing a crown of thorns. He was almost unrecognizable as a person at that point. But they mocked him for being a king, a king that wasn't all the things that that people were expecting him to be. He wasn't that king that, that came with an army and to rule. Verse 17 of John 19 says, And he went out bearing his own cross to a place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And they crucified him and with him two others, 
one on either side and Jesus between them. And Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And many of the Jews read the inscription for the, uh, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic and in Latin and in Greek. Jesus recognized as a king, but only to be mocked. See, when Jesus came to earth, it wasn't to fulfill people's expectations. Jesus didn't come as the Messiah and the king that that fit the mold. But when Jesus came to earth, he had a mission and he had a plan. He had a mission and a plan that had been uh, put together by himself and by his father. And as we talk about this king, he was the king that was from eternity past who came to earth here. And God's plan had also been in place forever. It says in 1 Peter chapter 1 that before the foundation of the world, the Trinity, the God had put together a plan of what would would need to happen, or what would happen, should the mankind that they were going to create use their free will to choose sin as opposed to choosing God. It was a plan to rescue the people. It was a plan that did not rely on on shock and awe to come in and just wipe things out, or even a flood or anything else that, that the people had seen before. But it was a plan that caused the eternal king of the universe to suffer for the very people that he had created. And it was truly a plan that was born out of love. Flip to John chapter 1 with me, if you will, and that's where we're going to spend the next few minutes. It's the prelude to to the rest of the book. It says this in verse 1, And in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. Without him, uh, was not anything made that was made. This passage in the book of John harkens back all the way to the beginning of the Bible, harkens back to Genesis chapter 1, begins with in the beginning, just like Genesis chapter 1 begins with in the beginning. Beginning of the universe was not the beginning of God but it was the beginning of a relationship with mankind and a plan for what would have to take place should mankind choose not to follow God and to step out of the relationship that that God had made with them. And it talks about the power of the word, and that's something we're going to get a little bit deeper into in just a minute here, because when God created the world, he did it with the spoken word for the most part. And it talks about the image of light. And those are the things we're going to look at this morning. See, God has existed as the Father and the Son and the Spirit forever. And if you can't get your head around that, that's okay. We're not supposed to actually understand everything about God. So I'm going to give you permission this morning to say, I don't quite get this whole Trinity thing. And if somebody next to you says, I can explain the whole thing to you perfectly, I wouldn't listen to them too closely. But when God created the universe and everything in it, 
He created people with a free will and a soul and was a conscious decision on his part not to make little robots down here, but to make people. And there was nothing that was accidental or random in any part of creation. God created us as people for a relationship with him. He created us unique as individuals to have a relationship with him. But before creation, God knew that if we severed that relationship, he would have to be the one to mend it. And he had a plan and a mission all laid out before the foundations of the world. In Genesis chapter 1, the, a word comes eight times to create the universe. God spoke eight times to create everything in the universe, except for one thing, except for people. And that word of God can quiet raging storms, it can cause plagues, it can stop the sun from setting for three hours so that his will can be done in battle. The word of God is all-powerful. But with God, people are different. And God is different. When God decided to create human beings, it says that he came down and he fashioned the dust of the ground into a man. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath, his own breath of life. That made man unique from all the rest of creation. That made us special. And not only did that make man, that man, Adam, unique from all the rest of creation, but he has made each one of us unique from each other. We are all God's handmade masterpieces, exactly how he wants us to be. And he also, when we needed a redeemer, came to us. He didn't just speak some other word from heaven that would fix everything, that would redeem his people. He actually came as a baby. He didn't speak redemption, but he brought it. There are many images that the Bible uses to describe Jesus. He's a, a good shepherd. He's living water. He's the bread of life. And he's light. And light is a little unique from the rest because the Israelites who were most of the, the Old Testament was written to, most of the prophecy was written to, understood water and bread and, and shepherds and all those things. But light's a little more, is a little bit different. Light was the first thing that God spoke into existence, actually that Jesus spoke into existence back in Genesis 1. He said, let there be light. And there was light. And he separated and you can go on for the rest of the story in Genesis 1. So I think it's interesting that in John chapter 1, verse uh, 4, it says this. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. See, see, light does two very, very powerful things. Light has the ability to do two things. First of all, light can illuminate the things in life that we are to avoid. Think of a lighthouse out on a point where ships sail past. And they need to know that, the, that there are rocks that will cause the ship to sink. So they put a lighthouse out on the end to, to mark the spot. Or buoys out in the, in the harbors. Or if you're a pilot, 
high power lines frequently have a beacon on the top to warn that, that this is an area to stay away from. So light has the ability to illuminate things that we are to avoid. Light also has the ability to be a beacon to draw us in safely. And I think when Jesus came to earth, he was that as well, like runway lights. Illuminate the runway so pilots can land. So light can illuminate things to avoid and can also illuminate the places that we are to be, to draw us in safely. And I think in our lives, if we have Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have that light within us, and it should be doing exactly those things. It should be telling us the things to avoid. We should be different as believers than we were before because we're avoiding the things we know take us away from Jesus Christ. And also will illuminate us as to where we should be going, the way our lives should be going. The Bible talks about his word being a a light and a lamp unto our feet, step by step as we go. Verse 5 of John 1 says this, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's another aspect of light. Just like light illuminates what we should avoid and illuminates where we should go, it also has a, a relationship in respect to darkness. There truly is a battle going on between God and Satan and heaven and hell, good and evil, and light and darkness. See, darkness is actually the absence of any light. When we withdraw light, that's when we get darkness. You can go out into a really dark night. I remember when Hurricane Ike came through. We hadn't lived here real long at that point in time. It was a dark night when, when Ike came through Tomball. But you could still see. You could still see a little bit. But I also remember when I, was a, when I was a teenager, I went with a group of guys and we went spelunking, cave exploring in the, in the caves of Indiana. And we went into these caves and you'd go down and you'd, you'd hike back and crawl through part of it and it was damp and it was always, you know, a little bit cool and damp and kind of gross and stuff. But you'd get all the way down into these caves underground and you'd have a little light on your helmet and stuff or a flashlight in your hand. And when you got deep, dark underground, if everybody turned off their light, it's true darkness. And that darkness that's underground like that, that darkness when when the moon and the stars and the sun can't even bleed a little bit through the clouds, is so dark it's actually oppressive. I said that in the first service and a couple of people said, yes, I've been there and and it's it's scary, it's spooky, it's oppressive. It's like it gets on you and, and there's a weight on you. It's so dark. But the interesting thing about that is, is even in that kind of darkness, one little flame, one little candlelight, one little flashlight can illuminate a huge expanse of area. And the other thing that happens is if you're truly in that kind of dark and your eyes have adjusted and you literally can't see your hand in front of your face... If a, if a little light is lit in that area, the longer you stay with it, the longer you stay in vicinity of it, the more you see. The bigger the area is that you can see. 
And I think that's how it is with us, with Jesus Christ as well. Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness. And the closer and the longer we are in relationship with him, that we are abiding with him, the more we will see, the more that will be illuminated, both in the things that we should avoid and in the directions that we should go. But the two things cannot exist at the same time. Light and darkness, true light and true darkness can't exist at the same time. So into the truly dark world, God sends his son. Look at verse 9 of chapter 1 in the book of John. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. The Messiah and the King was coming, but not where and how the people had expected. The people knew that they were living in darkness. They were looking for a light. They knew that they were living in captivity. They knew they needed a deliverer. They knew that they were living under oppression and they wanted a king. But when Jesus came as that baby in the manger, he wasn't at all what the people were expecting. The people were hoping for a military leader with shock and awe to take out the Romans and to set himself up to be the king. That's not what the baby did. And I think one of the big lessons of Christmas is this, that when Jesus wants us to come to him, it's as a part of his plan and not because we want to tell him how things should be done. Let me explain that just a little bit. The people that were waiting for the Messiah to come, many didn't believe because he wasn't what they were expecting. And I think as believers today, we know that God has a plan for our lives, and we know that God has direction for us, and we know as we've gone through some of the the hard sayings of Jesus, there are things that God wants us to do. He may even have illuminated those things in front of us. And we say, you know, that's all good, but but I kind of have this plan of my own, and I'd, I'd like to, to follow God and just tweak it and adjust it a little bit so it works better for me. You know, in that the story of, of the crucifixion and, and Jesus going to the cross, there are two other characters that appear in the book of John that are associated closely with that story. One is Peter and one is John. And as Peter appears in the story, when when Jesus and the disciples are in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's going to come and be taken by, by soldiers and taken to be tortured and then crucified. Peter says, that's not going to happen, Lord. And he pulls out his sword and he lops off the ear of one of the, the servants of the guard. And he looks at Jesus when Jesus says, this is what I'm going to do, Peter. He says, no, I'm not going to let that happen, Lord. See, Peter understands that Jesus has come to be the Messiah, but Peter wants to adjust that Messiah plan to fit better into his plans. And I think for myself and for so many people that I've talked to, that's truly how we, we visualize and envision our relationship with God that we are thankful and we're grateful that God has provided a way of salvation for us, and we know that the Bible gives us illumination into how we should be living our lives, and we're all good with that, but we want it to still somehow be something that we get to tweak and be responsible for. 
And that wasn't what Jesus did when he came. That's not how God desires for us to be. So after, after Peter lops off the ear of this guy in the garden, Jesus says, it's a great story, leans over, picks it up, and sticks it back on the side of the guy's head. I'm thinking maybe just a little bit crooked so everybody saw him for the rest of his life knew what happened there, but that's just me. And Jesus says, you can't do this, Peter. I have a plan. You need to get with my plan, Peter. Quit telling me what you think we ought to do. The other disciple that's in that whole story is the disciple John. And the Bible says this, when Jesus is with the disciples in the upper room and they're having the Last Supper, John is sitting as close to Jesus as he can, even leaning on him as they're eating. And they go out and they go from the garden to where Jesus is tried before uh, priests and before rulers, if you will, of that time, and Pilate and Caiaphas and all these guys. And we read about John this, that no matter where he goes, where Jesus goes in this story, John is right there with him. He's not saying a lot. He's not doing a lot. He's not cutting off people's ears or anything else. He's just there. So that when Jesus is led into Pilate's house, John is in there with him. When Jesus is taken to the cross and nailed to the cross and set up on top of that hill at Calvary, John is at the foot of the cross, just there. He stays right by his Savior's side. And he's willing to buy into Jesus' plan without trying to tweak it and fix it. Now, I'm not saying that Peter was a bad guy and that John was a great guy. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying, though, is that is pretty much how myself and a lot of people that I know tend to live. When we should be John and just sitting at the feet of the cross and just sitting at, at Jesus in Jesus' presence, we try and tell Jesus how we think we could do this better, how he could do this better. That's not God's desire for us. When we come to Jesus, we need to decide who we're going to be like. We're going to be like Peter, we're going to be like John. Let's go back to John chapter 1 for a minute here and look at verses 11 and 12. It says this, And he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus had a plan from before the foundations of the world. And that is, he was going to come and be the sacrificial lamb of God, that he was going to give up his life as a ransom for many. But his own people didn't receive him because he wasn't what they were looking for. And I would say to you this morning, if, if Jesus hasn't been what you have been looking for, if God's plan of redemption isn't exactly how you would have done it, it's not that God hasn't figured this out right, it's that you have to come more to the foot of the cross. And come accepting Jesus as he is. 
when we're willing to buy into his plan and stay by his side, we'll get a taste truly of the best that God has for us. Jesus came as a ransom for our sins so that we could spend all of eternity in heaven with him as the sacrificial lamb of God who paid the price for all that we have done, past, present, and future. And this so that we could abide near and with him. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the Son, as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus didn't come just to be the sacrificial lamb. He came to illuminate us with grace and truth as well. So that's the story of Jesus' mission here. That is the the story of, of what Jesus was about when he came as that baby in a manger. It wasn't the story that people were expecting. It wasn't exactly how we would have laid it out, probably most of us. But Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, Jesus sent for, or God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. God has had a unified plan throughout all of history, a plan for the fullness of time, a plan to unite all things under him, things in heaven and on earth, to the praise of his glory. I want you to understand one more thing here with this this morning, and that is that when Jesus came as that baby in a manger to live a perfect life so that he could go to the cross and die for our sins, yes, it was for our redemption, but it was for the glory of God the Father. It was to restore that relationship between us and him, not simply so that we could have eternity in heaven, but to glorify God. But it is God's desire for each one of us to understand the Messiah, what he did. And it is God's desire that that he would be able to draw us to himself. Micah chapter 4, verses 6 and 7 was read earlier. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted. And the lame, I will make the remnant. And those who are cast off, a strong nation. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. I want you to understand what what the, the prophet is saying here. He's saying that the Messiah is going to come, and he's not just going to come to the special. He's not just going to come to those who are gifted. He is going to come for all of us, for the lame and the afflicted. And he's going to draw us together. He's going to make us the remnant. He's going to to pull us in, which means this. And this is another mistake that a lot of people make. They say, I will come to Jesus when I can clean up my life enough for him to accept me. If that thought has ever passed through your head, please dismiss it right now, because that is not what the Bible says. The Bible says he came for the lame and the afflicted. He came for us just the way we are. To redeem us. Again, that's probably not how most of us would do this. But aren't you glad that God is not most of us?
He wants us from this time forth and forevermore to be with him in this relationship. And I am asking you this morning, if you are here this morning, and you are here because it's, it's maybe because it's Christmas time, and so it seems like a good time to be in God's house, great. But I hope you hear the message this morning that when that baby came 2,000 plus years ago in Bethlehem, it was with a mission. And the mission was to go to the cross and die for the redemption of mankind. The men that he had created, the men that he had breathed his own life into centuries before. And if you are here this morning and you've been trying to figure out how to get your life straightened out enough so that God would want you to be a part of his family, know this, God wants you to be a part of his family right now. If you are here this morning and you've never accepted the free gift of salvation that comes through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that he came and shared on Calvary, the Bible says it was shed for you. No matter what state you are in. And that king didn't come and just snap his fingers to make everything right. He came and he shed his own blood to make everything right. And it is a gift you can receive this morning. If you're here and you are unsure about what your relationship is with God, if you're here this morning and you have, have questions about whether you've ever actually had Jesus Christ as your Savior, we would love for you to talk to us after the service this morning and, and get that straightened out before you leave here today. What a great time it would be in this Christmas season to come into a relationship with that baby in the manger that grew to be the salvation of, our man, of mankind that was truly the king of all the universe. That would be our desire for you this morning. If that's you, please don't leave this place today without coming and talking to, to John or to Stuart or myself or one of the other elders or Evan or one of the other pastors that you're going to see this morning. Because that's the most important part of the Christmas story. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you this morning, Father, that we can be gathered together in your house so we can open up your word and, Lord, that we can see that, that your Actions are never haphazard, Lord, that nothing that you do is, is, out of, is out of scheme with your plan for the salvation of the world, Lord, and that, that that plan of salvation is truly a plan born out of love, that you created us for relationship with you, and, Lord God, that, that it is your desire that all should come to know you. And if there are some here this morning, Lord, who have never taken that step, we ask that this would be their day of salvation today, Lord. And for those of us who have known you, some for years, decades, I pray, Lord God, that you would allow, that you would help us to see you as the light that can illuminate our lives so that we can be in the direction that you would have us to be, Lord. Help us to stop trying to change you to be who we want you to be, Lord, but allow you to change us so we can be exactly who you want us to be. Thank you for loving us, Lord, and for showing your love through Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.